Years ago, a survey was done that asked people in America what their greatest fears were. And you, you might be or you may not be surprised at the answers that were given. The two greatest fears that Americans had, the, the number two fear that Americans had was dying. Americans face dying. And, and maybe that's a fear of yours. Maybe it's something that keeps you up at night. Maybe it's something you think about. Maybe when you sit at a funeral, you begin to think about uh, your own morality. And maybe thinking about dying scares you. But something that scared Americans even more than dying was public speaking. That's the number one fear of people in America, public speaking. Which means, if today were your funeral service, you would rather be in the box than on the stage if, if you were to go by your fears. If today had to be a funeral service, you'd rather be honored than speaking. And I can get that, but, but here, I, I think if, if you were to ask Christians in America today what, what was even a greater fear than dying or public speaking, they would say praying in public. As a matter of fact, if we just took a microphone right now and I said, we're just going to one by one, today we're just going to pray. And, and we're just going to pass it down the aisle. And when you get the microphone, you just you pray for however long you want to. Literally, people would clear out of here so fast that it, some of you would break the speed limit on your way out because you would think, there's no way that I'm going to take a microphone and pray in front of people. Yet prayer, according to the Bible, we've been studying the book of James the last two weeks. We continue today. Prayer is one of the greatest tools that the Christian has to grow spiritually, to stay strong spiritually, to combat difficult weeks, to celebrate great weeks. Prayer is one thing that Christians need in their life much more than just going to church. If you've been here the past few weeks, we're in a series right now in the book of James titled Rethink Church. And what we're talking about these six weeks is things that you must do in addition to just going to church. We live in an American culture today that says if you're a Christian, go to church. And that's cool. You don't have to do anything else. And in the book of James, James, who is the half-brother of Jesus, writes in his book things that we say are more important than just going to church. Things that Christians must do, not just show up on Sunday, but things Christians must do to grow spiritually. Now, I made this statement the very first week of the series. I said, James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote the book of James. And I had several people who made this, some sort of statement like this to me. I've been in church all my life. I didn't know Jesus had a brother named James. I didn't know that Jesus' brother James wrote a book of the Bible. I didn't know that Jesus had brothers and sisters. Why did you say he's his half-brother instead of his full brother? So before we dig into the book of James today, I just want to give you just a little Bible history that maybe you know or you don't know. Turn to Matthew chapter 13 if you have your Bible. And if you don't have your Bible, our ushers are going to be going down the aisles. They have Bibles. We, we want people, if, if you'd like to, to follow along in the Bible with us. If you forgot a Bible, if you need a Bible, if you don't have a Bible, wave at our ushers. They'll give it to you. You can keep it. It's yours to have. If you have one at home and you just forgot it, throw it on the table when you leave and we'll hand it out again next week. But take this. You can mark in this. Act like this is your Bible. Just don't write anything bad in it if you plan on leaving it because somebody else will use it later. And we don't want them to, to see any graffiti inside the Bible that we just handed you. Matthew chapter 13. And we're going to go to uh, verses 54 through 56. Because I often tell people, did you know Jesus had four brothers? Did you know that twice in Scripture their names are mentioned? Did you know that Jesus had sisters? And I hear people say all the time, no. I've been in church all my life and I never knew Jesus had brothers. I didn't know they had names. I didn't know Jesus had sisters. And we see in Matthew chapter 13, verses 54 through 56, the family of Jesus hanging around his ministry. It says, coming to his hometown, Jesus, that's he, began teaching the people in their synagogue and they were amazed. Where did this man get his wisdom and these miraculous powers, they said? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? 
And aren't his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? When did that this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. Now, that has nothing to do with you growing spiritually today. But if you ever wondered where Jesus' brothers and sisters are mentioned in Scripture, it's right here. And here's their names. James, he's the guy we're studying about, the oldest. Joseph, you'll mention, you'll notice if you study the life of Jesus, Joseph is never anywhere in Scripture. We don't see him. Many scholars think that he died. Possibly he died when Mary gave birth to her third son. Jesus would have been one. James two, Joseph. Maybe that's why he was named Joseph. We don't know. Then he had a brother named Simon, and then he had a brother named Judas who went by Jude. He also wrote a book of the New Testament. If you go through the, the books of the New Testament, there is a one-chapter book named Jude, Jesus' other half-brother wrote that. Now, why do we say that that was Jesus' half-brother and not his real brother? Because they had different dads. So who was Jesus' dad? Biologically. Who was Jesus' biological father? We say that was God. We, we call that the Immaculate Conception. Joseph and Mary, according to Scripture, had never been together sexually when Jesus was born. So when we say they were his half-brothers, they had a different dad. Joseph was at least, we think, a few of their dads. And then Mary was their mother. So that's, for those of you who wondered, like other people who asked me, that's their vernacular. Here's Jesus' brothers. Here's his sisters. That's why we refer to them as half. But his oldest half-brother was James. And we're studying his book. Go ahead and turn to the book of James, if you would. While you're turning there, let me also reference Acts 1.14. This is, Acts 1.14 is right after Jesus has died. He's resurrected. He's ascended into heaven. The original church leadership is gathered. And they're getting ready to, to start basically a new church there in Jerusalem. They're just waiting for God to do something crazy. And in Acts 1.14 it says, Everyone joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So we know that Jesus' family, after Jesus died, resurrected, began to be a part of this first century church. But James became the leader of this first century church. And his is the book that we are studying right now. Do you know James' nickname in church history is Old Camel Knees? You might jot that down on your sermon notes. His nickname was Old Camel Knees. Now that would offend, at least it would offend me if that was, if that was my nickname. I think, man, you need to get some lotion and, and lube up the calluses on your knees. James' nickname was Old Camel Knees because it was said in church history he spent so much time in prayer that he literally developed calluses on his knees that were so thick that his knees looked like camel knees because of the amount of time he spent on his knees in prayer. And twice in the book of James, James references, yeah, church is great, Christianity is great, but James mentions the need for prayer. He's going to tell us in the book of James, you don't pray enough. Sometimes you never pray. And then he's going to tell us in the book of James that you're not praying the right way So here's how you should pray in order to answer your prayers. But we're going to kind of glance the whole New Testament today because really prayer can't be taught in one message. Prayer really can't be learned in a series. I mean, I could take an entire month and not teach on everything that the Bible has to say on prayer. But here's my goal today. My goal today is to teach you some of the highlights of prayer from the New Testament. Beginning with a prayer that we just saw on our video, the Lord's Prayer that many of you have heard, possibly all of you know, I don't know. We're going to talk about that prayer. We're going to see what James has to say about prayer. And then I'm going to give you a prayer warning that, that became very real in my life this week. Uh, and, and something that maybe if you don't leave with anything else today, my hope is that the very last slide that I show behind me and the very last thought that I give you, my hope is today you can leave with your heart really clean and clear before God and the things that you're going through in life. That, that's my goal today. 
But we begin with prayer. As we look through Scripture, the first thing that we find out in the New Testament in prayer is we see what I call a prayer model. We see a prayer model. And this prayer model is given to us in Matthew 6. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Matthew 6. You can just look on the screen. It'll be there. If you have it memorized, you don't need to go there at all. But you can flip back and forth in your Bible today with me if you want to. And for those of you who are brand new to church, there are four books in the New Testament written about the life of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're called the Gospels. Gospel means good news. They're nothing more than the biography of the story of Jesus. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke are almost the same book. If you, if you go and read them, they say a lot of the same thing. And you can kind of fill in the gaps by reading Matthew, Mark, and Luke together because it gives you a better backstory. And in Luke chapter 11, don't turn there. But in Luke chapter 11, we read the exact same story as Matthew chapter 6. Except Luke chapter 11 gives us a little more detail. It says that Jesus was out praying all night one time. I'm not quoting scripture, so you don't need to look for this in, in your Bible. It said that Jesus was out praying. He spent all night in prayer one night. And he came back and his disciples were in their knapsacks. They were in their sleeping bags. They were in their tents. They were sitting around the campfire. No one could find Jesus. He comes wandering down into the camp and says, where have you been all night? And he said, I've been praying. And his disciples in Luke chapter 11 ask him this question. Well, can you teach us to pray? Because we don't know how. Now, many of Jesus' disciples had previously been disciples of John the Baptist, who's another pretty important spiritual figure in the New Testament. They've been traveling now with Jesus for weeks. They certainly were people that we would say were church-going people. But here they, they said something to Jesus that I think if Christians got honest, they would admit like, I don't really know how to pray. How, how, Jesus, how do you do that? How do you pray? And the answer to his question, in Luke chapter 11, it's, it's condensed. But in Matthew chapter 6, we see he answered that question. He said, here's how you pray. And he gave us what we know is the Lord's Prayer. We'll start in, uh, in verse 9 today, Matthew chapter 6. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Now, if you have your Bible, I want you to circle the word how. Jesus did not say, this is what you should pray. I love praying the Lord's Prayer. I love how it sounds. I, I pray it ceremoniously a lot. But Jesus didn't say this is what you should pray. Like when you pray, pray this prayer. He said this is how you should pray. This is a prayer model, not a prayer that we're supposed to repeat all the time. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, you and I would add in our rendition of the Bible, that's, or our rendition of the prayer that's kind of been taught up a little bit as we go, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. That's actually not found in the Bible, but it, it sounds really cool at the end, and I like to add it because it just sounds you know, more spiritual. Um, it may not be, but it sounds like it. But Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Jesus, how do you pray? And Jesus said, kind of like this. You know, if you look at this model prayer, you see four components of prayer and, and how you should pray. And I, I want to, this could be a message by itself, but I'm going to try to fly through it today just to give you an outline of prayer. And maybe you can begin to practice if you desire to have a deeper prayer life this, this week. But Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Jesus said, when you begin, you, and I'm going to give you an acronym, the word Acts, because it's a book of the Bible, it's easy to remember. But he said, a, a good way to pray, he said, you always want to begin prayer with adoration. And what is adoration? Adoration is just telling God what you think about it. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You, rec you recognize and realize today we sang two songs filled with the word holy. Why did we do that? Because Jesus said that's, that's the way you should start 
prayer, you should start by telling God he's holy. The word holy basically means set apart, different. You begin by telling God, I realize you're different. I realize you're great. I realize you're God and I'm not. Begin with adoration. The Bible's filled with verses of adoration. Psalm 19.1, David, the, the, the kid who killed Goliath, was great at praying through adoration. Psalm 19.1, he said, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the glory of his hands. Prayer is really important. Adoration is really important. What David is basically saying, David is saying, look at Psalm 145.21, another one. My mouth will speak praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. David said, there's a lot of times when I look at life and I just praise God. Now, I hear people say this in different ways. They say things like this. Man, when I'm in the mountains of Colorado, I just feel closer to God. When I'm on the beaches of Hawaii or the Caribbean, man, I just feel closer to God. When I'm out in nature, I just, I just feel closer to God. And you know what? I, I don't think any of them are wrong. I think all of them are right. They're saying what David is saying. My answer to that would be them praising. And pray. Look at the mountains and give him credit. God, when I get out here in the Rocky Mountains, man, I just feel closer to you. Thank you for creating them. That's a prayer of adoration. Just, you're just giving God credit. God, as I stand here on the beaches of Maui and wonder if you want me to move here and live the rest of my life right here. Man, God, I praise you. You know, I went this week and worked out with a friend in my church, and, and he works, he, I don't know why he works out so early, but he said, we'll start at 5. I said, 8, like a.m., like in the morning? I said, yeah. And I got to his house, and it was pitch black. He lives out near Lone Jack. And in Lone Jack, man, you could see every star in the sky. And I got out of my car at 5 a.m., pitch black, of the stars. And instead of saying, man, these stars are cool, I said, God, man, thank you. God, you're amazing. In the Old Testament, God said eventually they're going to start praising things that were created rather than the Creator. They're going to look at stars and praise the stars. Look at the stars. God said, I created those. They're going to look at the ocean and the Caribbean. we got a young couple here who's getting married here on, on Friday night. And they're going to be off someplace much cooler than us next weekend on their honeymoon. And they're going to look at something that's, that's way cool on a beach or, uh, you know, in a mountain or at a resort. And instead of saying, man, that's really cool, say, God, you created this. Thanks, God. That's adoration. Adoration is just saying, God, you're God, I'm not, and thank you, because I would probably mess things up. You know who does this well, who gives God kind of credit for daily things? The African-American community. You know, I, I grew up in a very small, white town in redneck southern Ohio. Uh, and, man, we were in the sticks. And when I went to play football in college, I, I, for the first time in my life, played with a lot of guys from the African-American community and their families and even today, I'll realize this around. When you walk up to a white person and you say, hey, man, how you doing? They'll say, good, fine, great. When you walk up to a spirit-filled African-American person, how you doing? What's their answer? I'm blessed. Oh, yes, you are. You are so much more spiritual than I am because you're giving credit to the good things in your life to God. Because something is clicked mentally of adoration. I'm going to praise God. How you? I'm blessed. I don't know how I am, but however I am, God made me that way. I'm blessed. I love that conversation. Isaiah 6-3, they were calling to one another. Isaiah's in the throne room of God. He said, here's what heaven sounds like. They were calling together, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The, earth, the whole earth is full of his glory. He said they're praising God. They're giving him adoration. Revelation 4, 8 and 9. 
You know, we sang that song a few weeks ago in church, and I told Danielle this week, hey, we need to sing. That second song is called Revelation Song. So we need to sing that in our message this weekend. So why? I said, because I'm preaching on it. You know, do you, do you ever wonder? I love this question. I, I, you know, doing youth ministry for a long time, you get this question a lot. What do you think we're going to do in heaven? What do you think we're going to do in heaven? Yeah, yesterday as I, as I sat in my recliner eating my, my pizza hut that I get delivered every Saturday afternoon, I thought, I, I literally did, I thought, you know, I hope there's college football every Saturday afternoon in heaven because this is, this is a really good place for me. You know, people say, what are we going to do in heaven? You know, I don't know what we're going to do in heaven. There's just a few things that the Bible mentions we'll do in heaven. But Revelation 4, 8, and 9 says one of the things we'll do in heaven is sing that song that we sang today. That's why we sing it in church. The, the Bible says in heaven we'll sing that exact song. So today was kind of like choir practice. Revelation 4, 8, 9, the, the, John, the apostle, has been transported to heaven and he sings now the end times and he says each of the four living creatures had six wings. He's talking about the angels flying around the throne room of God. They were covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, talked about how everyone in heaven begins to sing this song. What is adoration? It's these last few words of verse 9. Go ahead and, yeah, on the screen there. What is adoration? It's giving glory and honor and thanks to God. That's all it is. That's adoration. So Jesus says, when you pray, make sure you begin by saying, hey, God, I realize you're God and I'm not. And I thank you for who you are. And I thank you for what you've done. And thank you for these beautiful mountains, for the wonderful beach, for the wonderful kids, for the beautiful day today. You know, I walked outside. My, my core temperature likes to live at about 50 degrees. 70's too hot, 30's too cold, 50 is perfect. And I walked outside today and I said, God, thanks for this beautiful day. Some of you might have thought it was freezing. But I, what I did, I gave glory to God. God, thanks for this beautiful day. It's perfect today. So we begin with adoration. You know, this, uh, we, we continue, letter C, with confession. So I begin my prayer, Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. I begin by saying, God, I realize you're God, I'm not. But then I go to confession. And what is confession? Confession is just getting cleaned up spiritually. Confessing is, is saying to God, hey, here's the things that I've done that I, I know you're not proud of, and I'm sorry. Forgive me. But as we pray, we find out confession is an important part. First John 1 John 1.9, here's what John said about our sins, our transgressions. If we confess them, God is faithful, is just, and he'll forgive them. And he'll purify us from all unrighteousness. He'll not only forgive us, he'll clean us up. James 5.16, if we confess our sins, he's, uh, I, I'm sorry, that's the same verse. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Confessing sins is just saying, hey, God, I realize you're God and I'm not. And God, I realize I got a lot of things in my life I need to get right. And I pray that you'll just forgive me until I can make that happen. Because God, I know I'm not who you want me to be. The picture of confession in the New Testament we get from the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament it went like this. The priest who served in the temple wasn't allowed to go inside the temple until he went through this huge ceremonial washing. And he wouldn't just wash his hands, but he would wash his hands. He would wash up to his elbows. He'd go through this whole rigmarole. And, and he would do this because the thought was, I can't go before God filthy. I want to give God my best. There's only one time in my life I've been invited to, to go to the White House, and it was not even like the White White House. It was the executive buildings of the White House where we got to meet with the press secretary and some other stuff about some, some things that were going on that really aren't even in, important. But I got, I got to go one time through, through the gates that let you into the White House, and there was a dress code. 
You had to have a jacket on. You had to have a tie on. You had to have shoes on. I mean, they wouldn't let you come in to see the president looking like a slob. Yet we'll go to talk to God and won't even think about cleaning up spiritually. That's what confession is. I'm getting ready to go see God. I probably ought to brush my teeth. I mean, that's the thought of confession. God, like I want to talk to you, but I know I am in no shape to see you right now. Will you forgive me and clean me up spiritually? You know, I believe the thing that Christians have the hardest time believing is that God really forgives them. And that he really loves them. So we'll do this confession part. We'll ask God to forgive us. But in our hearts, we don't feel forgiven. We don't forgive ourselves. We know other people don't forgive us. So we live life with guilt and shame rather than clean like we're supposed to live life. One of the great pictures of this is Zechariah chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. This is an Old Testament minor prophecy book. And we see a picture of the, God's priest standing before him. And, and like his life is screwed up like so many of our lives have things in them that are just totally upside down. And he stands before God and he's not fit to stand before God. Yet God says, clean him up. I can use him. Zechariah 3, verses 3 through 5, it says, Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off the filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, that was the priest, See, I've taken away your sin, and I'm going to put fine garments on you. So I said, put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head, and they clothed him, and the angel of the Lord stood by. You have to believe that when you go and say, God, will you forgive me of this? That God says, yes. And God says, I forgive it and I forget it. You don't have to worry about that anymore. And so many of us carry around so much guilt. But we have to understand that God loves us like a son loves their children. And when a child says sorry, you know, a dad, a good dad anyway, is not going to hold guilt over your head. They're going to forgive you. That, that's the way it works. You know, I had this happen a, a, a few years ago with my little daughter, Casey. And PowerPoint folks, don't go ahead of me. Don't put anything on the screen yet. Because I, I want to show these people the notes as we go. But... This little guy right here is Brutus. Um, I'm from Ohio, born and raised in Ohio, huge Buckeye fan. And a few years ago, I took a trip. I, I took my kids to see Ohio State and their stadium and their facilities because I just felt it was important to their, their well-being and character that they be able to see <laughs> Ohio State personally as they, as they grew up. And we went to the store, and Casey, my little girl Casey, was still real, real little at the time. And she used to sleep with these little guys. And she asked me when I, when I told Casey, I said, I need to take Brutus to church. She said, are you going to tell the story? I said, I am. She said, are any of my friends going to be sitting in there who will make fun of me for sleeping? And I said, I, I don't think so. And I only see one. So, Ben, don't tell Casey that you know about Buckeye. All right, Brutus the Buckeye. Um, but, I, you know, Casey, I don't want anyone to make fun of me. But I bought this for Casey. And we were back at the hotel later that day. And she and Christian got in a fight. And she started beating him. With Brutus. She was chasing him around the room, bang, bang, beating him with Brutus. So, you know, I was, I had driven to Ohio, right, 12 hours with two kids in the back of the car. I was annoyed with them. I wanted to leave them someplace. I didn't want to be around them. And now she's accosting my son with Brutus. So I took Brutus away and I threw him up on a shelf and I said, You're done. I'm at timeout. You sit over there. You sit over there. I told Danielle, These kids are driving me crazy. And I took Brutus and I hit him. And Casey came back five minutes later, and she gave me this little note. Go ahead and put the first note on the screen. She had written me this, this note. This is before she could even read or spell. And here's the note that she handed me. I saved it, and I scanned it into my computer, so I'd never forget a father's love. She said, Dad, I'm really sorry for what I've done, and I'm really sorry for that I hit Christian. And she handed me that note, you know, with little tears in her eyes, handed me that note. And I was still mad at her. 
So she handed me the note, and I read it, and I said, okay, okay, just go away. She said, well, can I have Brutus back? And I said, no. She said, well, don't you forgive me? And I said, not right now. I'm mad. Just give me some time. Like Father of the Year Award, right? Way to, way to go down. I told you, I won't tell you what I've done as a father, but I'll tell you what the Bible says you should do as a father. So five minutes later, so she goes away crying. And five minutes later, she comes back with a second note. Go ahead and put the note on the screen. Here's the second note. Now, you'll see me and Casey, and you'll see Brutus. I'm holding him in my left hand. See Brutus there? Right? He's even got the O on his hat in her picture. And here's the picture that she drew. Now, this is before I had forgiven her and given her Brutus back. Here's the picture she drew me. I'm sorry, Dad. And do you see what Dad is saying? What's he saying? See, kids know that their dad's going to forgive them. Because that's what dads do. Dad's going to forgive them. And, you know, we, we go to God and we say, God, man, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And then we walk away. And because we're not as gracious as God, we think, you know, I wouldn't forgive me. I doubt God has either. And it doesn't allow us to ever have a heart that can be close to God because we always think he's mad at us. See, if we're going to learn how to pray, Jesus said, you've got to learn to praise God, but you've got to learn to trust God. Confess your sins and then walk away. He will forgive you. You can start over. Why? Because that's what dads do. Dads forgive their children that they love. The T is for thanksgiving. We get into a time, what, it, what is thanksgiving? Thanksgiving is just saying thanks to God for the good things that he's given you in life. The Bible's filled with verses of thanksgiving. Psalm 69, 30, and 31, I will praise God's name in song. I'll glorify him with thanksgiving. Why? Because it'll please the Lord. Psalm 100, verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to God and praise him. The Israelites, only a few times a year, were able to go to the temple. And when they went to the temple, the, the author of Scripture here is saying, listen, when you do get to go to the temple, go to the temple with thanks and thank God. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, to be thankful. Colossians 3.17, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You know when we give thanks in American Christianity, when we eat? God, thanks for the food. Maybe when something really great has happened, but we don't often stop and say, God, thank you. And you know what? Just like a dad likes to forgive, man, a dad likes to hear thank you, doesn't he? God said, you should thank, like before you start praying for stuff, you should thank me. You know, this week my, my son, Christian, had a, he had a tough couple days. And, and, and he was struggling, and I was struggling, and I mean, he like couldn't even think straight. And, and I, I felt so bad for him, I just wanted him to have a good day. So I told Danielle on Monday night, I said, listen, we're going to take Christian to his favorite restaurant. We're going to take him out to see a movie. We went to... See the movie of the dolphin with, without a tail. It's a great movie, by the way. If you haven't seen it, take your kids. I can't remember what it's called. Dolphin tail. There you go. Yeah, I know something like that. Not dolphin without a tail, just dolphin tail. So we go to see this movie, and, and we see this movie, and we're sitting at his favorite restaurant eating. And, I mean, he had just been down, like didn't want to go to school, didn't want to go outside. There's some difficult things going on. And as we're eating, he just looked up out of nowhere. And he says, Dad. And I said, what? And he said, Thanks for taking me to the movie and to my favorite restaurant. I know you did this for me. And man, my heart just melted. Like I can't, couldn't remember the name of the movie. I won't remember what I ate, but I'll remember my son saying thank you. And that's how God feels when we stop to say, God, like thanks. 
Thank you, God. See, a lot of us pray, but we never stop to say thank you. God said, Jesus says, when you pray, make sure you stop and say thank you. And then the S is a spiritual word we call supplication. What it really means is you're asking God for things. It's okay to, to pray and ask God for things. But notice where this comes in prayer. It comes at the end. Most of us skip ACT, right? We don't, we don't praise God. We don't ask God to clean us up. We don't thank God. We just, God, here's what I need. We start at supplication. We start with telling God what we want. Now, there's nothing wrong with telling God what we want. If we look at Scripture, I mean, several times Paul says, I'm praying for you and what you want. I'm praying for what you need. I'm praying for things going on in your life. You pray for things going on in my life. We should all pray about everything that we need. You need money. You need a car. You need a promotion. You need forgiveness. You're praying for someone sick. You, you, we should pray for everything. But supplication comes at the end. After we have properly said, man, God, you're cool. I'm not. But thanks anyway. Now here's some things you can help me with. We should pray. And as we get through Scripture, it's okay to ask God for things, but, but we have to know how to pray. So the goal of that section, and I, I want to get by it, is to give you a little model. And you say, well, you know, I, I don't really know how to pray. Here's my challenge to you. Take your, take your little outline that I gave you. And just write one thing under each little blank. Not right now, but as you go home to pray. What do you praise God for? Maybe for you it's the fall season. I love fall. And I thank God maybe it's the stars. Maybe it's that your kid's a tremendous athlete. Maybe it's that you were sick and now you're healthy or God did a miracle for somebody. or what? I don't know. Whatever you want to praise God for. I'd write one thing under that A. And then, you know, if you're like me, the list under your C can sometimes be like really long. God, I did all these things wrong. I'm sorry. Write down things you need God to forgive you of. And then maybe a few things you're thankful for. I don't know what those are. You do. But after you get done praying those, and those will take like 40 seconds, then tell God what you need. And expect God, like a loving Father, to forgive you, to love you, to appreciate you, and according to what the Bible says, to give you what you need. So we see a prayer model. Prayer is important. People need to pray, but you need to know how to pray. Here's a model. Teaching point number two. The Bible also gives us a prayer challenge. Not just a prayer model, but a prayer challenge. And that's where actually James is. If you have your Bibles, you can go to the book of James. We're going to read two sections in the book of James. Because James gives us two separate challenges. This was true of his church 2,000 years ago. I believe it's true of this church today. I believe it's true of probably every church in the city today. We see two prayer challenges. James says, here is a pastor. Here's what I challenge you to do in prayer. First prayer challenge is in James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. The second we'll flip over is in James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Here's James' first challenge to us on prayer. James chapter 1, I'm in verse 5. It should be on the screen behind me if you don't have your Bible. He says, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, and he's unstable in all that he does. James' first prayer challenge is really twofold. He said, listen, are you lacking something in life? Why don't you ask God? But here's his second challenge. When you ask, you have to believe that he's real. You have to believe that he's listening. You have to believe that he hears you. You have to believe that he loves you. You have to believe that he's going to give you some kind of answer 
Because he said, if you go and you need something and you say, God, I need this. But then you walk away and you immediately think he's not going to give me that. James says you're double minded with one voice. You're saying, God, I need you with another voice. You're saying, God, I don't even believe in you. So James says, when you need things, you need to ask. But you need to believe that God will give you what you're asking for. I believe if you look at the church today, the majority of people who are praying for things don't really believe that God is even listening, that he cares or that he'll do anything about it. And I'm sure you would say the same thing. You go and you you pray about something and then you forget it so quickly. You think God forgets it as quickly as you do and you don't ever expect that prayer to even be answered. So James gives us a challenge that when you need something, you need to pray, but you need to pray believing Believing. Secondly, he says this in James chapter 4. And this is where I think the, church, the, the verse the church really needs to hear today. Not, not our church, but the church in general. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. I believe this statement is really true of people in the church today. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. Here, here's the key part of this verse. If you have a pen, and I know you do because we gave you one, underline this. You do not have because you do not ask God. You don't have because you don't pray. And when you pray, you don't receive because you're asking with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Two things that James is saying here, and, and I want to go quickly through this. James is saying, look... A lot of the reasons you don't have what you really need in life is because you've never even stopped to ask God to help you. You know, they they did a survey about five years ago. They surveyed thousands of Christians, and they found that the average Christian prays on average five minutes a week. I want you to to hear that, and then I want you to process it. The average Christian prays five minutes a week. Now, I would say that that five minutes exceeds how long some of us have prayed this week. James says you don't have like, because you never pray. You're a Christian who never prays. But I go to church. Okay, well, that's fine. But like, do you ever talk to God? But I, you know, I, I'm in a women's Bible study. Okay, I get that. But like, do you ever talk to God? See, we have filled our life with church activities, but we never take time to pray. And James says the only time you do pray is when you need something. And he said, God is not your God, he's your genie. You go get him off the shelf, you rub the lamp, boom, out pops God. God, I need these three things. Now, I know I don't pray when I don't need anything, but now I need something, so God, I need these three things. Thanks, see you at church on Sunday. James says, God doesn't work that way. God is not a, a genie in a bottle. That, you know, the only time you pray is when you need something from him, it doesn't work that way. James says, you're not getting what you need spiritually, one, because you never ask. And when you do ask, you're doing it selfishly. You care less about growing closer to God. You just, you need something. And he's like your heavenly piggy bank. Hey, God, I need to cash in some good deeds that I did, and I need you to do this for me. So James gives us a strong prayer challenge. That, and, and basically, here's the challenge. I, I want you to hear the challenge in a nutshell today. You have to pray. You have to pray. When's the last time you got on your knees and you prayed? I do not have calluses on my knees. That will, my, my nickname will never be Old Camel Knees because I do not pray enough. And my guess is either do you. I'm not saying it in a condemning fashion. I'm just saying, let's be honest. We probably don't pray. 
James challenged. Jesus gave us a model, said, here's how you do it. James says, okay, do it. Like his challenge is Nike. Just do it. Just do it. Just pray. If you just start praying, things may get better. You can trust God. But James says, don't use him. And then teaching point number three, and we'll be done with this. The Bible gives us an extremely strong prayer warning. Actually, I say the Bible, it's really Jesus. And he both puts it within the Lord's Prayer. And then he, he adds on to the Lord's Prayer a teaching point. Now, here's what I want you to do with me today, okay? And we're not going to close our eyes because we're, we're not going to pray the Lord's Prayer. We're going to say the Lord's Prayer. And if you know it, I, I just want you to say it out loud with me. And, and I want to point out something to you that maybe you've never even noticed before as you've prayed. Because this is the prayer warning that God gives us. So, we're not going to close our eyes. God's okay with that. I talked to him this week. He said he's cool with it. Here's what we're going to do. All right? I just want you to pray it out loud with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses. Stop. Forgive us our trespasses. What's the next word? As we forgive someone else. See, every time you pray the Lord's Prayer, you're praying this. God, I want you to forgive me the same way that I forgive other people who have hurt me. Now, do you really mean that? Because I don't want God to forgive me like I forgive people who have hurt me. I want God to forgive me the way that God forgives me. But I every now and then need to hold on to a grudge. Because that's just the way I am. Jesus says, when you pray... You ought, to, you ought to pray like this. And he gives us this unbelievable prayer model. But he puts this little two-letter word, as, in the Lord's Prayer. You can go ahead and start playing, Phil. And Jesus says, you need to understand, prayer warning, that in order to have a heart that God can forgive, you have to be forgiving. So somebody hurts you, forgive them. So somebody used you, forgive them. So someone hurt your kid, forgive them. So someone fired you, forgive them. Forgive us, Lord, as in the same way that I forgive others. Jesus added this, Matthew six fourteen through 15, after he got done with the Lord's Prayer, just to make sure his disciples didn't miss the as, he said this, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't, Forgive others their sins. Your father's not going to forgive you. Whoa. Back up. I don't, I don't like that verse. I'd rather say, for thine is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever. Amen. Then go forgive everyone who's hurt me. And that's hard. Let me read it again. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their sins, your Heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. Whoa. You know, I bet there's a lot of us in here today, starting with me, who find it hard to let a grudge go. Who find it hard to forgive people, not only once, but how about that person who you forgive over and over and over and over and over again, and they never stop doing what they did? How about the ex-husband or the ex-wife? How about the former boss who took advantage of you? What about the relative who abused you when you were younger over and over and over again? Forgive them. 
And that's a heck of a prayer warning. That's a warning that says, man, take it serious. In Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35, Peter went to Jesus and said, how many times do I have to forgive somebody? I'm sure it has something to do with this conversation. How many times? Like, how many times do I have to forgive somebody before I can stop? And Jesus said, you can't ever not forgive. I want you to hear that. You can't ever not forgive. Will you say that with me? You can't ever you can't ever not forgive. That was Jesus' answer. Here's seven times? Like three times? Seven times? How many times? She said every time. How many times do we want Jesus to forgive us? Every time. You can't ever not forgive. That was Jesus' answer. Jesus said in, in Matthew 5, if you're trying to go and have communion with God and you remember on your way to church that someone has something against you or that there's something in your heart that you can't let go of, he said, you've got to go deal with that or you won't, you won't really be able to ever like, love God the way you need to. That's how serious he was about getting our hearts right. You know, I read a book this week by Andy Stanley called Enemies of the Heart that was phenomenal. And he had six questions in his last chapter that he challenged the readers to ask themselves. And he said he started with his kids. He would ask his kids these six questions every night before they went to bed. Because he said, I wanted my kids to go to bed every night with their heart empty of things that could hurt them. Go ahead and put them on the screen if you would. I, I wish these were on your sermon notes. They're not. If you want them, email me. I'll send them to you. But Andy said, you need to be able to answer these questions. Before you try to move forward with God, you need to be able to answer these questions. Is everything okay with your heart? Are you mad at anybody? Has anybody hurt your feelings? Has anybody broken a promise to you? Is there anything you need to tell somebody? Are you worried about anything? I mean, that list could take a long time to get through for some of us if we were to, like, answer honestly. You know, I sat down with my kids on Friday night, I think it was, Thursday night. And I said, Dad, you know, I explained, I read a book, we're going to do a new thing. And I said, I want to ask you guys these questions. You know, they're 10 and 7. I thought it'd be too early. I thought they wouldn't care. And I asked them question number one, is everything okay with your heart? You know what they both said? No. What's wrong? And they started spilling their heart about things that were happening at school and at life and with friends. And I thought, wow, are you mad at anybody? They were both mad at each other, so that kind of crossed that out. It worked. It worked well. Has anybody hurt your feelings? They had each hurt each other's feelings, so we talked that out as well. Nobody broke a promise. Is there anything you need to tell somebody? I specifically ask, is there anything you need to tell me? Is there anything you guys need to tell me? I mean, my little daughter, God bless her. I mean, one of the, like, the highlights of my life. Is there anything you need to tell me? And she said, yeah, Dad, there is. I said, what's that? She said, Dad, every now and then when you're yelling at me or telling me something to do, she said, I look at you and in my head I think, Dumbo. Her mother who was sitting there said, Casey, I think that about your dad a lot as well. <laughs> so I thought, you know what, I'm glad this is making everyone feel so good, you know, but, but me. So every day I told Casey, I'm not a Dumbo. I'm not a Dumbo. <laughs> so funny. Dumbo. So every time now I'm yelling at her, I'm looking at her thinking she's calling me dumb in her head right now as, I, as we speak. Are you worried about anything? You know, we did this on Thursday. Man, it was like so cool to just like, clean out our hearts. Before we went to bed. 
And then Friday, the kids were getting ready for bed, and Casey said, Dad, Dad, we going to clean out our hearts again? It was easier to go to sleep after I cleaned out my heart. I said, yep, we'll do it. We did it Friday. We did it Saturday. If I'm a good dad, I'll, I'll keep doing it. I won't just do it a few times. How's your heart? Is everything okay with your heart today? See, to really develop a prayer life, man, you've got to get your heart okay. Are you mad at anybody today? Does anybody hurt your feelings? By the way, the answer to most of these is probably yes most of the time. We live in a hard world. Has anybody broken a promise to you? Probably. Is there anything you need to tell somebody? Are you worried about anything? Man, how in this world with this economy could we not be worried about things? Probably. Your first prayer list is right here. Say, so well, I really want to handle these things. James would say, then like, you should pray. So you'll say you want to handle these things, but then you won't pray. That makes no sense. You've got to pray. Christians need prayer. Listen, the world, non-Christians need prayer. Everyone needs prayer. It's how we communicate with our God. And if you're not a Christian who's engaged in praying, man, I can't beg you enough, start praying. Take a little sheet and pray 60 seconds a day. You know what? Like Casey, your heart will feel better. Your life will begin to change. You got a little model. You got a little challenge. You got a little warning. But you got a big God. Now, if you've never talked to God, the first thing you need to say to God is, I realize you're real. I realize my life doesn't measure up to your standard. And today you need to make the decision to become a Christian. To ask God to forgive you of your past, which he will, because that's what he does. He loves you. And to ask him to help you start over. And if you've never done that, the greatest prayer you can pray is the prayer of what we call salvation. Saving your life from where it's headed and, and God transforming you into something new. If you've never done that, you can do that today. And that's how we're going to end this service. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes, everyone all over the place. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you are in here today and you've never prayed the prayer of repentance, you've never prayed a prayer to become a Christian. So I've gone to church. Have you ever prayed to become a Christian? I used to go to Mass. Have you ever prayed to become a Christian? I've been baptized. I took communion. Have you ever prayed to become a Christian? The answer is no. You need to pray that right now. You don't have to pray it out loud. I certainly won't hand you a microphone. You just have to pray it in your heart to God. And you can repeat it after me. I'll make it real easy for you. Don't even say this out loud. Just repeat it in your heart. God, today, I want to become a Christian. I pray that you'll forgive me for my sins. And I'll trust that you'll do that, even though it doesn't make sense. And I pray that you'll begin to change me, clean my heart out, so that I can begin brand new. And God, if anyone has hurt me in any way, help me to forgive them like you are forgiving me. Today, I want to become a Christian. Accept me into your family and your eternity. Now, with heads bowed and eyes closed across this gymnasium this morning, if you just prayed that prayer and became a Christian, nobody's looking around but me, but would you just slip your hand up so that I can know, yes, today... I prayed to become a Christian. Just slip it up and right back down. Yes, yes, yes. Now for everyone else in here, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. How's your heart? Is everything okay with your heart? Are you mad at anybody? Has anyone hurt your feelings? Has anyone broken a promise? Is there something you need to tell someone? Are you worried about anything? If you're in here today 
in any, anything on that list, even one thing on that list is true, and you'd like me to pray for your heart before we leave today, would you just slip your hand up, Christian, pray for my heart. Just all over this auditorium, just put it up. Nobody's looking around but me. And if they were, you'd just see a bunch of hands. You put them down. God, pray for the hands raised today. And for what they stand for, what they symbolize. I don't know what it is, but you do. And Lord, there are a lot of people who didn't raise their hand on the outside, but on the inside, they were like jumping up and down because they need something in their heart taken care of. It's only you can do because you're God and we're not. Help these people. Resolve these issues. Help us to learn to love and forgive and empty and go the extra mile with people. Lord, so that our hearts can always be soft and open to be close to you. Lord, thank you for my children and what they've taught me. They do so many things that just make me understand you better. And a lot of those are from the mistakes that I, that I, I create as a dad. But I thank you for how you've taught me through their lives. Now, God, be with the men and women of this church, those who will later listen to this message on the, uh, on the Internet. God, help us to live a life of prayer. Help us to pray. You don't have because you haven't asked God. You don't understand because you haven't asked God. Or maybe you pray, but in the back of your mind, you don't ever think God's listening. Help us to be different. People of prayer, a church of prayer. Change our lives through that. Lord, we love you. We see things in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. Here's what we're going to do right before.